Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Gay Men Going Deeper. This is a podcast series by the Gay Men's Brotherhood, where we talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. I am your host today. My name is Michael Diorio, and I am happy to welcome back to the show, Craig Cassie. Thanks for joining us today again, Craig. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. So I invited Craig back today because our first conversation about non-monogamous relationships generated quite a bit of buzz and discussion about gay relationships, sex, and monogamy. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, um, I definitely recommend listening to it, but by all means, you can still join us today, even if you haven't listened to it. Uh, All you got to do is after you're done with us here, go back to episode number 44. I believe it was August 19th. And in that episode is our intro where we talked about the different types of non-monogamous relationships. We talked about how to know if non-monogamy is right for you, and then how to communicate with your partner or potential partner about it. But today, what we wanted to do is actually take some time to address some of those comments and questions that you guys, the viewer listener, had. Um, So some of those comments were shared in the Gay Men's Brotherhood Facebook group. Some of them were messaged to us directly via DM on Instagram. Uh, So we have a few here and we want to address them. But before we do that, for those of you who don't know, Craig, Let's give Craig a chance to introduce himself. Wait, uh, hey everybody, Craig Cassie here, executive life coach, coach trainer, and sex coach. And my commitment for my client is simple. It's to help y'all build a life of adventure and abundance and to help coming from authenticity. So I currently help individuals and couples really work through the roadblocks in their way to having a thriving sex life, as well as communicate in a way that's authentic, honest, and drops all the bullshit and pretense we sometimes bring and really give people the freedom to be a cause for living the way they want to and dropping the shame that sometimes pulls us back from really getting into those juicy and good relationships. That's awesome. And so for those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, you know why (laughs) this is Craig's second time visiting us because uh, that resonates very, 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 very much with me. And I know a lot of our uh, your listeners as well. So again, thanks for joining us today, Craig. Okay, before we jump into the comments, I want to repeat the very same caveat that uh, I said in the first episode about non-monogamous relationships, which is that this is not an attempt to convince anyone of any particular way to have a relationship. The point of this is simply to, well, in this case, address the comments that you guys had from the first episode, but even in the first episode, that was not uh, an attempt to convince anyone that non-monogamy is the right or only way. Um, I find that a lot of people get very, uh, you know, defensive about this topic, and it seems to bring up a lot for some people. So I just want to say that out from the bat. So even if you are a a staunch monogamist, uh, that that's great. You're still welcome here. Come, come at the table with us. We're gonna have a great discussion either way. Okay. So let's start off with some of the comments. Uh, this one came from YouTube and I think this is a really good one to start off with. So the comment is, it's actually a question. Can you bring someone who talks about how to make a long-term, how to make a long-term monogamy work in a gay relationship? So my answer is, yeah, his name's Craig. <laughs> it's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> Craig knows a lot about all kinds of relationships, not just the non-monogamous variety. 
So, so Craig, the question is how, how do you make a long-term monogamous relationship work in a, in a gay relationship? Um, thousands of ways, first off. But when I think of what's most impactful, uh, what comes to mind is really this, a commitment to play together and grow together. I don't just mean play, it's actually physically, you know, do what you want to there. But considering that a lot of the roadblocks people hit in long-term monogamous relationships are typically they lose a spark, uh, they get really comfortable, and all of a sudden the passion begins to leave. You know, this happened a lot during the pandemic. We're living the same life day after day in the same one bedroom, two bedroom. Like you can only watch so many repeat episodes of your favorite show. So if you ever felt a little bit less love during that time, it's normal. So the opportunity there is looking at how can you bring play and co-creation and novelty back into the relationship? Because these are the things that create that kind of mystery that I don't know thing about you, that, oh, there's still more to learn to see. And some questions you can ask yourself is this. Uh, one, what are the things I haven't done that I desire? Not just in bed. We're talking about anywhere in life, a new hobby, a new experience, a new trip or destination. Now, what would it look like to invite your partner to answer the same question and then begin to lean into each other, even when your answers are different, especially when your answers are different, because that's going to build up some new memories and some new foundations for you to you know, really expand from. Uh, the second thing I want to add is just in a thriving long-term partnership, you're going to grow apart. You're going to grow back together. There's no way around it. You're not meant to walk lockstep in every single part of life. So a question that you can return to to support you is uh, what does it look like to support your partner in becoming their best? And what does it look like to ask for that support for you? Because when you're both each other's cheerleaders, a lot of the resentment we sometimes have drops away, uh, excitement over building something together returns. And it also forces communication because you're checking in now every so often about the dream, about the goal, about whatever it is in front of you both. And you're now getting what you need to move forward to actually have your ideal life and they get to be along for the ride and vice versa. Yes, uh, I love that. And I fully agree that on the point of having some kind of dream or vision that you're working on together, even if it's just like a, a small project that is even just temporary in nature, it doesn't have to be like a big life plan, but even like something that you're working on together, I find has really helped invigorate the spark. Again, not necessarily sexually, but it might also lead to that. Just like for me intellectually, like I love having a partner who I can uh, communicate with, who I can speak with, who I can share ideas and debate with even, that for me is a huge turn on. Um, so having that thing that we're working on together, both utilizing our problem solving abilities, using our unique skills and talents that hopefully complement each other in some cases, has really helped keep that spark alive in a, in a monogamous relationship and otherwise. One other thing I would add to this is that something that I've learned is that you don't have to have all your relationship needs met in one person. <laughs> Yeah, Craig's clapping for, for those of you who can't see him right now. That's true, so true. Yeah, yeah, I think we even touched on this last time, but what I used to think was my my boyfriend, my partner, had to be everything. He had to be my travel buddy, my cheerleader, my the person I have sex with, the person I bring to my family events, the person I watch movies with, the person I do this with, the person who likes all my hobbies, the person who likes all the food I like, the person who likes everything I like. And um, that's, 
a lot of pressure to put on one person. <laughs> so in a monogamous relationship, you can decide that, yes, sexually, this is the person who, who I want to experience that with. However, if you have a hobby or if you want to go on a vacation and, and your partner isn't really into it or doesn't have time or, or can't do it, you can have other people in your life satisfy those needs. Um, you know, for example, I really enjoy biking cycling and i you know i have five partners who have no interest in cycling whatsoever they think it's dangerous and terrible so so either i go by myself or if i really want to go cycling with people and do like a nice long 30 40 50k ride i'll ask other friends to do it with me it doesn't i don't have to force him into doing this thing that he doesn't want to do craig what else do you have to say on that topic that'd be a whole other kind of bdsm play if you're going to force your partner <laughs> to go on a bike with you it's very <laughs> different new kink um no i just i love what you're saying and i want to really highlight one of the reasons why that is so impactful to actually have other people in your life and to actually have certain things that you do outside of your relationship not even sexually but um consider that part of what keeps a relationship fresh is the space of tension between knowing a lot about them and still not knowing something right we're not looking to hide who we are or hide our personality but when you actually have experiences separate from your partner, be it vacations or other friendships or new conferences, hobbies, adventures, whatever it might be, you actually are planting seeds for your partner to lean in and ask you questions to learn more about your experience. You're giving them the fodder to actually build more connectivity. And you can't actually feel uh, connected if you're completely side by side throughout everything you do. Like part of feeling connection is actually also witnessing, experiencing the distance, right? It creates the desire for more closeness. And so when you have those other areas fulfilled by other people, it's wonderful for your relationship. Like you said, Mike, less pressure on the partner. We always love to create some pressure in relationships for whatever reason. And it also pays away for curiosity, for mystery, right? And I usually find those people who have thriving lives outside of their relationships tend to also have better sex in their monogamous relationships uh, because they're not knocking on the door repeatedly to get every need met. But when they do knock for that play, they're present, they're there, they're interested. Yeah. What a solid point. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Craig. Okay. Um, along the same lines, let's go to the next, let's go to the next comment. Um, who can speak more to this? So this person said, I would have liked to hear more about the complexities that arise in these relationships, non-monogamous relationships. It all sounds so idealistic when it's spoken about, but the, these relationships end for the same reasons monogamous relationships end. So what do you have to say about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we look at what ends a relationship first out there, it's not any secret to what things are. You know, it's usually... Uh, lack of communication or an inability to forgive or a misalignment around where we're going, what we're doing, unmet needs. Um, so the person who wrote that, you're not wrong. You know, open relationships aren't the holy grail that will save any relationship. And they shouldn't be viewed that way. It's a question of what's authentic for me and my desire, as well as my partner or partners. And from that place, what's a relationship that we want to design together? So I'm not sure specifically what complexities they might be thinking of or speaking to in the comment, but a few that come to mind are questions around um, how do you be when you are bringing in a third or a fourth 
or your partner is, and you feel a certain kind of way about it. Uh, I think sometimes when we approach open relationships, we think once we set a boundary in place, we communicate who's good or who's not, then we're off to the races. And one of the realities is what might've felt good or inbounds one day could also feel bad or not supportive or out of bounds another day from any side. So one of the complexities I see come up time and time again is really how do you speak in the moment where you actually stand in relationship with the boundaries that you set and the needs you're present to, um, especially for people who experience anxiety, their definition of what might be supportive might shift based mm-hmm. on how much stress they have or what mm-hmm. else is in their life. And that's valid. It's actually really important when you're in that space to feel like you have the freedom to say, hey, what actually I need, you know, we agreed at this, but what I need in this moment is actually to slow down or could we pause for two, three days and come back to this? And on the other partner's side, it's looking at what's your priority. Now we, we agreed to be open and to have this fun. And is your priority the fun you want to have in the moment, whatever it looks like, or is it your relationship and your partner's well-being with you? And sometimes having that fun in the moment is actually in supportive of relationships well-being too. So you can hear there are multiple views, multiple angles and places to check in against. And this is what has it be complex, but to simplify it down, it all comes down to what's your need in the moment. Are you open to sharing and inviting somebody into your truth so that they can actually respond in a way that's authentic to them? Yes. What I love about that is the reminder I think that we all need, myself included, is that there's a fluidity, right? So often, um, I mean, I'm, I'm very guilty of doing this in my own relationship. We'll have a conversation and we'll like end up somewhere, like we'll land on a decision. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, I'll be acting based on the decision. And if something has changed, which of course we're human, things change in the moment, as you just said, um, it, it won't work. And so instead of getting perhaps resentful and being like, oh, hey, we, we already had this discussion, what happened? And then, and, and, you know, getting angry about it. I'd love what you've mentioned about checking in in the moment, in the present moment, because things do change. And that's, that's a lot of work. It's not easy. It's not easy work, right? It can be. I mean, why I think the experience of feeling difficult comes from when we aren't practicing doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And we're afraid of a reaction or we brace ourselves for impact. That's me. I find my body braces for impact when I have difficult conversations that I'm not sure of the outcome yeah. about. And that's why sometimes, even as a coach, I say things and I realize, oh shit, you know, I'm trying to control the outcome here. Part of my people pleasing is on the table, trying to steer us away from what might be an unsavory conversation. But another place that I can choose to come from in that moment is, hey, what if I assume a positive outcome? This helps me really release the pressure valve on my own anxiety when it comes to relationships and outcomes and attachment. So if I assumed in the end it would all go well, uh, what would I feel free to say? If I assumed that my partner cared for me and loved me and wasn't going to you know, act out in a certain way, um, what would I ask from them? What would I share so they got actually how I felt? And uh, I love what you said about the fluidity, spot on. And from this point of fluidity, it's a practice of getting to know repeatedly where we're actually at. There's no, um, I think we have a false assumption of should that once we hit a certain point of a conversation, get a takeaway that that is static, it's a building block forever. And sometimes, yeah, you know, but other times it's simply a place that we've grounded in 
and a snack will walk away and come back depending on what's in the space. If there's anything I've learned in my relationship, it's that there's no such thing as over communicating. Um, I, I, maybe that's just me, but going back to the point about checking in, like sometimes you just have to check in constantly. And like, he'll even say to me, like, we already talked about this. And I'm like, yeah, but I just wanted to check to make sure we're still good. You're still good. So I think, you know, we talked about this even a lot on the last episode, Craig, and I think it's going to come up a lot even today. Communication is really like, I mean, I think the foundation of any conversation about relationships. Yeah. And looking at what's your relationship with communication, where do you feel like you stop when it comes to communication? Uh, what topics are safe versus what feels risky or dangerous? I mean, these are the conversations I have inside of every uh, coaching client that I work with. Uh, we all have different steps. So it's great to look at where you feel like you can communicate easily or over-communicate and where you feel like you can't. And that area of can't, becomes an area where we actually grow the most and probably is the area that most needs your attention in your relationship. Yes, very solid point. That that has been very true in my relationships thus far. Unfortunately, I didn't have that knowledge until recently. So looking back, I can see in retrospect, oh, okay, that's where that's where you know I I personally went wrong or that's an area that I could have improved in. Okay. I want to get to a question. So uh, this person says my partner wants openness and so do I, but he's scared and I'm excited. How do we move forward together when we are at odds about it? Hmm. Interesting. And they're not the only people, um, but if they're both actually interested, I would question whether they're out of alignment on this. You know, I get that one is afraid, one is excited. And also I want to, note that a lot of times what we feel in our body as fear is actually excitement with some nervous energy present. So, you know, for the partner, I get curious about, well, are you also excited? Cool. And what about it has you feel out of your comfort zone? Because there are probably some uh, questions around possible unmet needs. Like he might need some structures of support to make himself feel more able to be open. Um, and also, what are the outcomes he is looking to get? Like, how does he want to actually enjoy his open relationship? And what are the things he's actually afraid of? So until we bring our attention to what one partner fears, then we don't know the boundaries to put in place that are actually going to put his heart at ease or ease his anxiety. Um, so one, get curious about, is it actually that he's scared or that he's excited and scared? So we can give you know, his whole experience a fair once over and fair weight. And then two, get to the meat. What is the fear? What is the hope? You know, we get to work with all this. And uh, what does he need in order to feel more comfortable? Um, we might look at things such as check-ins before you play with somebody else, check-ins after. Uh, I definitely recommend a once-a-week check-in for any couple, whether you're open or not, it's just healthy. Um, and ask questions like, how are we doing? any bumps in the road that we need to own and, and look at and apologize for or heal? Um, what could we each do to support each other better? Uh, those questions alone can really help someone who's going out of their comfort zone. And even if it's something they want, it can still be out of our comfort zone to feel more at ease. Yes. Uh, 
I have implemented Craig's weekly check-in with my partner. And I must say it has been super, I think it's been about six weeks or something by now. We've been doing it every Sunday night and I love it. So highly recommend it. Um, my answer to this question would, would be it's both it's excitement and fear. I'm sure, I'm sure the person who posed the question also has some fear on some level, if you really think about it, but it's kind of where your mind is focused, right? There's the, the reality is there's probably both fear and excitement for both people. And I think having that conversation about what are we both excited about, like what, you know, and find the commonality there. And then what are we potentially both afraid of and finding the commonality there and then having discussions around it, similar to what Craig has said. There's so many things you can do uh, as you're approaching this openness. And, and like we talked about last time, there's not just one way <laughs> to be open. There's it's a spectrum and you can land anywhere in this, this gray zone of, of openness. And so, yeah, practice it, uh, talk about it, set the boundaries, and of course, have some fun. <laughs> That's for me, one of the key aspects of being in a relationship is I need to be having fun with my partner. It's, it's gotta be playful, even if it is a bit scary sometimes. Okay, let's go to the next question. So this is a good one. Uh, this person says, I have a boyfriend and we've hit a rough patch and I want to have the open relationship conversation. What should I do and when should I have it? Should I wait? So I've heard this many times yeah. <laughs> in my own social life, let alone from people on Instagram or clients. And um, I want to normalize this first off. No, we all have desires and it's not uncommon for somebody who wants to be open to also hit a rough patch in a relationship due to nothing related to being open or closed or for that same person to actually hit the rough patch because uh, they have unmet desires and not communicating about it and it's coming out in some other way, creating some kind of tension. So let's answer goes for either you know person, whether the rough patch for you is around your sex life or cheating or anything else. Or you happen to just have stress in a relationship elsewhere and you still want to have the open conversation. Uh, first up is this. Check your priorities and look at what actually is most essential in the moment. My assertion would be it's probably a healing conversation with your partner. Uh, consider you could have an open conversation now while you're in the muck of tension and conflict and the open conversation is going to be infused with that. Mm -hmm. Right. You might not want that. I don't think it's necessarily the most advantageous, though, when expressing your needs and desires and conflict, being open might come out. Uh, but eventually, you're still going to need to have a healing conversation one day. So look at what needs your attention first and what actually sets you up for the most successful conversation you can have. And by success, I don't mean that when you have the open chat that you become open but that you actually both have a space to share what it is you desire, what it is that you envision for your future, what it is you need around it. So step one is focus on the healing. Check in with where are they at? What do they need? If there's anything for you to own to apologize for, apologize authentically. Offer you know, retribution and then rebuild trust in whatever way uh, needs to be practiced. If that happens, you know, if you've been a cheater in your relationship, you've stepped outside the bounds, Part of the healing work is going to be taking the steps to rebuild your partner's trust in you. And inherently doing that is actually going to promote a healthier open relationship when that time comes. Uh, after that, though, you might check in and have that vision building conversation. 
you know, sometimes we relate to openness as like a want and a need, but it's this conversation that feels risky or scary, or we don't want to make our partner feel wrong. Cool. Then don't, right? Sit down with them, get curious. What does your next level relationship, what does the future of your relationship look like? How do you want it to go? And listen to where they're at. What things are we not doing that you want to have in it? Is there any play, any sex fun outside of our relationship that you'd want to bring in? Here's what I want. I see space for us to play together. And I also still have the hots for some people. You know, when you create the space where you're just sharing desires and wants from a creative, open, judgment-free zone, then you're actually at the building blocks and then create those agreements for what your open relationship could look like. It's not, are you in or are you out based on what I want? It becomes, hey, this is where our desires overlap. Are you open to working so we can get those needs met and build something together? Yeah. That sounds so much more fun though, doesn't it? Like the way right? you put you it. Do that over fondue. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that sounds great. This sounds like a great conversation for a date night. I, I, I love I love that. And that's something, well, so here's the thing. While that's something that I could, I, I feel safe doing in my own relationship, I think you, you kind of nailed the point of the fear of judgment. I think, you know, in my conversations with clients and otherwise, there is this very uh, intense fear of rejection and judgment that like, if I bring this up, it's unsafe. So what do you say about how to, how to uh, overcome these fears of, of judgment and rejection? Um. One take is that you don't, you know, you might actually always feel fear present in your body. If you haven't had those conversations yet, uh, if these are new to you, if you're afraid of, you know, a partner leaving or, or upsetting them, like fear might just be present in your body and we can try to fix fear, quiet it, numb it. We can do the work to try to release all the fear that we have. But for as long as something is new to you, it's an experience you haven't had before, or you really care about the outcome and you can sense you're a little bit attached. It's actually normal to have fear in your space. So acknowledge that it's not wrong. The feelings don't actually dictate the rightness or the wrongness of taking that next step. Like you might actually need to lean in and say, I'm afraid to have this conversation and I'm going to do it anyway. And so I, I really want to put that out there that feelings alone are not truth, are not fact. Um, they might inform you that you care. Right? They're really saying that you're afraid of an outcome. You really want one over the other. Um, and you might even consider bringing that to the conversation. And that mm-hmm. might feel outrageously vulnerable. Yeah. I know it has to me a few times when I've had to say, hey, I'm afraid that we might be ending, but I don't want to. Here's why I need to go different. I already feel my heart in my throat just saying that on this podcast. Um, so the first place to look is like, you might not need to fix or to get over the fear. Uh, but the second one, and this is what comes up for a lot of my clients is uh, check in on the data of your relationship because the anxiety you have in your head probably is looking at a very small subset of data that puts you feeling at risk around the outcomes conversation. So take some stock, take a step back, look eh, into the last six months or so and begin taking note of all the positive things. Ask yourself the question, uh, what are the signs that my relationship is going well? What are the signs that I'm actually safe in this relationship? Uh, What are the experiences, the memories, the events that would indicate to me probably a positive outcome to this conversation? Because from fear and anxiety, we put on our blinders and we go straight to catastrophizing against the thing that we don't want. Oh my God, I want to be together. I want to get married. What if this ends it? And we completely black out or blank on 
every step along the way that says otherwise. And it's natural to do this. It's our brain's way of actually trying to get us to not do the vulnerable thing. So take a step back, look behind you, and actually take in the data of really where your relationship is at, the signs that is positive, that is going well. So your brain discounts those compared to the fear-based thoughts. So we have to do some extra lifting to really give them the weight they deserve and then lead from that place. Uh, and if you just don't feel like you have a ton of those, the recommendation is going to be a gradually practice between you and your partner, because that's going to really make it clear what impact you both have on each other and really build that foundation of trust that you're on the right path, you're doing well, and you're in a safe, supportive, you know, co-creative relationship. Yes, I, I love all the points, especially uh, the data piece. It's it's kind of like, you know, the way you describe it, Craig, it's kind of like the way, you know, I would I would look at my own business, like looking at data, like is like, what, what are the revenue targets? Are you on target? Like taking that kind of approach, like a data-driven approach to a relationship is not something I think many people do. I certainly don't. Um, but it's a very interesting way to look at it because when you're basing you these opinions on very subjective things like your feelings, which at least for me, <laughs> change moment to moment, then you, you're, being, you're, you're making decisions based on things that are ephemeral. Um, so I, I love this idea of data. If I may dig in, what would be, give me an example of, of a data point that some couples would find useful in using. Cool. Um, so they run a gambit and I'll give you three that kind of speak to what I'd be looking for. One would be, is there a time when there were conflict or was conflict that ended well? You know, I can look at um, even in my past relationships, the times where there was a mistake made, that there was an apology given, and that from that conversation with subsequent after, we actually got stronger together. You know, it doesn't have to be a perfect memory. We're not looking for the icing on the cake, right? We're looking for, you know, what shows that we can work through hard things too. So one is, you know, what's conflict had a positive outcome? Uh, where is there a time where I have been supported for my humanity? You know, mm -hmm. for me, every so often I call my partner up and I say, I just need to process some emotions. I need to curse out the universe for like 30 minutes. You just be with me while I get angry because, you know, I use somebody present. And that might be another thing where I, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel allowed to be authentic and to be really helped for that. Um, and then the final one is this, looking for you. This is for the individual who feels anxious about having the conversation where have you felt anxious before, but done the thing anyway, and it went well? You know, a question I ask all the time is when you think about the worst case scenario that your mind's attached to, you look at your past history, how often has that worst case scenario ever really happened? Yeah. And I'm not looking for that one time where the person cheated or whatever, and it was terrible. I get it. It's real and valid. But what about all the other times that we don't remember, don't consider? And for almost everybody, it comes down to like between seven and one percent, you know. So the odds are likely in your favor. You can have a chat and it will go well. And even telling yourself that might not take away the fear. It's not meant to. Right? Your yeah. body's going to feel it anyway, but it's meant to give you some trust to lean on to actually move through it and get to the other side. Yes, thank you. Those are very helpful. Um, I, I might implement some of those as well. I think I, I think we have to. Um, it, it definitely would help in, I don't know about quelling the fear, but as you say, it just kind of brings it into a different light and, and you look at it more from a, okay, what's the reality of the situation? Uh, so those are great. Thank you. 
Okay, now the next question um, that I have here is, I kind of accumulated a bunch of similar questions, but it boils down to this, okay? How do you distinguish between good reasons and bad reasons for wanting to be in an open relationship? I'm so curious what a bad reason sounds like. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and what I hear there is, um, I don't know which side this is coming from, whether it's the person who wants to open relationship who feels they might have a bad reason or whether they relate to a partner's desire for an open relationship coming from a bad reason. Um, but I'll say this, the reasons that are not supportive when it comes to an open relationship are when those reasons are based in escapism, mm -hmm. to get away from conflict, uh, to get your needs met. I know we talked about that earlier, but to get your needs met at the expense of your actual relationship, like in place of it, because there are actual roles that your you know, romantic partners or your you know, relationships are meant to fulfill. And so we might be looking at it like this. Uh, what I desire is a partner who I do have sex with in my romantic relationship, and I am turned on by. And if at a point that stopped or we weren't having sex, and I then wanted to open up my relationship to get other people in, but I still maintain the desire that I wanted a romantic partner who I was sexual mm -hmm. with, that would be escaping the work doesn't mean that there can't be a valid desire for an open relationship at the same time. We want to check back in and say, hey, am I using this to, to meet a need in service of my relationship or to meet a need and to get away from the work to improve the relationship I'm in? Maybe you're meant to be in that relationship and to grow it. Maybe you're not meant to be in it and you're meant to be out of it. But the, the open conversations typically uh, they straddle that line between the two spaces and why people are afraid of them because it's like either we're going to move together and be open or we're going to hop out. But that's what I hear when I hear like a bad reason, right? Things that are fueled by escaping the work, um, anything that detracts away from the relationship um, authentically attracts or detracts, pardon me, because some of our stories might be, well, if you have sex with somebody else, that clearly is going to detract we might want to check in against that natural urge to push back and say, okay, well, let's look, how could this person, my partner having sex outside of the relationship actually be in service of our mm -hmm. relationship? Not to be gaslit, let's look at the authentic truth. Are we still getting our needs met inside the container? Are we still healthy, happy, thriving in other ways? If all those things are checked off across the board and having that sex outside the relationship would support him and me, then it's cool. It's healthy, it's authentic. But if those boxes aren't checked off in the container and we're using this to get them met elsewhere and it's not in alignment with our vision for partnership, then it's probably not the choice to be made. We all need to either work and lean in together to get there or choose out. I love that. I think you've answered that so wonderfully. I have, I have nothing to add. It is just a very... Uh, thorough. And, uh, you know, I would agree with everything you said there. Um, it's, it's definitely, you know what I think this comes from, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a little bit of an assumption here is as I'm reading through comments in the Gay Men's Brotherhood group about, about this topic in general, not just our podcast, there, there tends to be um, a, a school of thought that says something along the lines of people only go into open relationships when their relationship is failing. And it's sort of this this belief that, oh, this is only something people do who have uh, who have failing relationships or, or they're on their last legs and it's kind of like this last ditch kick at the can to save the relationship. This is a theme I see 
over and over and over. And I don't know where this comes from, um, but it speaks to the stigma that that I seek to uh, help remove because <laughs> that's not the reason why I want to be in an open relationship uh, at all. And I think there's a lot of us who just want this because it's interesting. It's new. It's exciting. At least that's my, that's my perspective is, is, Hey, wait a minute. I want to do, I don't want to have that traditional relationship that I thought that I had to have. If I can do something different, why not give it a shot? So can you speak to a, a bit of that stigma? Is it something that you see as well? Yeah. And I love how you placed it. Um, for me, the distinction to make is if you desire an open relationship, period, versus if you now desire an open relationship as one Hail Mary. Like the Hail Mary, it speaks to what I just said earlier about when you're getting your needs met elsewhere, just perpetuate a relationship that really isn't for you anymore. Like, let's be honest, uh, if you're doing that, then you're just delaying the inevitable. But if you alone, as an individual, have a desire for an open relationship, cool. You know, for me, I would not be in an open relationship unless my relationship was in a healthy place. And sometimes the health of my relationship takes a dip. It might be work stress for my partner. It might be that there is family health stuff in the air. And like, we actually just need to close up and to go back to each other so we can get the support we want and boost our own well-being, you know, relational well-being. There are other times where we get to be much more open and free. So, hey, we're back to the fluidity conversation. Um, but for most really healthy, happy couples that I see, uh, the ones that are open are open because it's intrinsically true, like authentically desirable for each of the partners. Um, and they're not doing it to get away from the relationship or whatnot. Um, they're doing it because that's just what's present for them. And for really healthy, happy monogamous couples, it's the same thing. And that doesn't mean that you can't be monogamous and still have desire outside of your relationship. It just might mean that what you want supersedes that desire that sometimes is present. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having lust or fantasies that you don't fulfill. There's also nothing wrong with having lust or fantasies that you do fulfill outside of your relationship within the boundaries that you set up for yourself. It all comes back to that agreement. So that's really my response. Um, I think it's understandable because we've seen it happen in relationships. I think people don't bring that because they imagine a scenario. We don't have this, you know, given to us by a Disney movie growing up. We see it in our communities that when people are reaching the end, they try to open it up because they are not actually leaning in to do the work. Um, and I think there's some pain to be healed there. There's some fear that comes as well, because if we see that narrative again and again with our friends, our community, we think, oh no, what if I do that? And so if you harbor that same fear, check back in on the health of your relationship. Is this a desire that you both have as individuals that you want to embrace together? And if not, then, you know, have a chat about why you might not be open. But if it is, give yourself some faith and some trust that like you could actually be having a healthy, happy, open relationship. And it comes from uh, the core of who you are or from like a seed of desire. Yes. Very well said. Okay. The next question I have, uh, I think a lot of people will resonate with this person's story. So I'll read it. Okay. On the topic of openness, he says, we don't know how to take the next step and are afraid of hurting one another or feeling jealous. However, we trust each other more than anything. And we both want to take this next step. We just don't know how to comfortably take the step 
or how to go about doing so without feeling guilty. Are there any other couples or people who have been in similar situations and have any advice for trying to open up their relationship? Yeah, you know, Michael, you might give an answer to this having been in this open conversation readily. And I'll say this, tons of people have, I myself have. Yeah. And I disagree with the person who asked the question. If you trust each other, absolutely. You probably would not be so worried about jealous and whatnot. And it might not be that you don't trust each other. It might be that you do not trust yourself mm. because you don't want to hurt your partner. And that might be really the point of distinction. You care so much. You say you trust each other, but you don't trust yourself to do what you don't know. And this is normal. This is very normal when we begin to open up a relationship and we're you know, afraid of harming. We're coming from that place of care and compassion. We both desire it. So first off, you're not in a bad place. You're in a great place. And your story of trust might be slightly warped by your own sensation, your body's own response to getting out of its comfort zone. Yeah. And in your speaking, it's inherently protective of your partner and each other. Don't want to hurt them. Don't want to make them jealous. Expect this. As you open up the relationship, there might be some jealousy, and that's not a bad thing. We don't you know, elevate jealousy. I don't think we need jealousy to prove our relationship has desires, but it's natural as we begin to get into these new experiences that there might be some present. Cool. Talk about it in the moment, right? What has you be jealous? What do you need? Um, don't make jealousy wrong. Make it something you get curious about, right? Instead of creating judgment, create curiosity. Beyond that, also look at what if you began a trial period? Yeah. Now, we're not just giving your green light and off the races and then you, you know, go banshees. I don't even know what that phrase is, but it sounded good in my head. Consider that you begin and you might say, hey, for a week or let's both try out one experience each and talk about it. Uh, let's take three weeks to see how it feels and then talk about it. Um, you're not actually going to know what you need until after you do it. You can get a good idea in the beginning, but you're going to learn as you go what really each you and your partner need. And it's also okay if there are uh, mistakes made or there is some pain present. Uh, we're not in relationships to avoid pain, not at all. We're in relationships to meet it, to grow together, and to move beyond it. So I hear the love in your question. I hear the care and the trust too. I hear the self-doubt around knowing what you can do or can't do that's going to set your partner up for success emotionally. And also know that you're not uh, the owner or the manager of their emotional response, right? They can have jealousy or upset, and that's valid. And doesn't actually make anything you did wrong, just means that it's a chance to check back in. Yeah, great advice. Um, for my perspective, I'll speak, I'll speak simply to my experience. One thing that I would add is, you know, you have to you can go slow, right? Like you don't need to, you don't need to, you know, as you said, just jump right in with an orgy or something on the very first time you you try this. You guys get to decide what, okay, what is a comfortable first step that works for me? And that's the same question. What is a comfortable first step that works for you? Like, what would be a nice little first step to, to get to the greater goal? And then again, play in that area where you guys overlap. And that might seem like a very insignificant first step, but it, it's a very important one because you can kind of take a little toe out of the comfort zone to see what it's like, feel the discomfort of that, and then be like, okay, cool. We survived it. Check in with yourselves. How did it go? What came up for you? You know, what did I like? What, you know, what can we work on, et cetera. And then you begin to practice this communication, stepping out of the comfort zone, overcoming 
the fear or, or, or rather I like what you had said, feeling the fear and just letting it be there and not necessarily waiting for it to go away before you go further. Um, that is something that I've, that I have found very helpful, which is we don't need to, to, to go at some racing pace. We can just go at our own pace and we get to decide ultimately what that is. Okay, um, let's move to another one here. This one is a similar question, but this person is saying that his partner, uh, he believes non-monogamy is a deal breaker. So he says, how do you approach talking about non-monogamy, especially if it's a deal breaker, or sorry, especially if you think it's a deal breaker for your partner. So already, you know, there's an assumption made here that he thinks it's a deal breaker. So beyond that, let's pretend, let's pretend that the partner has uh, said in some in some way that it is a deal breaker, that they're not about it. Uh, this is an experience that I've had with a previous partner. Um, and so you know that this is something you want, but your partner has indicated that it's a deal breaker for him. How would you go about that? Uh, first thing is I check in on what the actual definition of being non-monogamous is or open. Um, for some people, when I say I want to have an open relationship, for me, what I mean is I want us to play together and I want to be able to play a part, but I want to consent on everything, mm -hmm. right? I don't desire a relationship where I get to do whatever I want, despite your feelings or uh, in a way that would put you at risk or harm or anything like that. Uh, for other people, you know, an open relationship mean that we would bring people into our relationship and have sex together and we wouldn't play as individuals beyond the container of what we're doing in the bedroom, kitchen, rooftop, whatnot. So I would check in first about what like their actual definition is. Like, what do you mean when you say uh, a non-monogamous or open relationship is a deal breaker? What kind of uh, open relationship are you speaking to? Like, what mm -hmm. does it actually look like to you? Um, you know, what has it be a deal breaker? And not from a place of curiosity to get somewhere, but from a place of curiosity to really understand um, then, you know, you might also look at, is that, that a desire they have based on firm belief or is a desire they have that's protected and based on fear? And this is the one tricky point, because even if someone uh, is choosing to not want an open relationship through fear, it's not actually our job to like assuage their fears or heal their past hurt sufficient for them to actually say yes. Like you can invite them to do that work. You can share your desire, but it's really on them to do whatever work they need to do to be able to get there. And I say that as I've had personal relationships where I truly believe the other person will one day be very happy in, a, in an open relationship, but based on past pain, it actually wasn't their desire in the moment. And I was dating a vision, a desire mm. for how it could go down the road as opposed to dating the reality. And I see this happen a lot of time with couples. You know, we really see where the person is going or where they can be, and we just want to get them there. And uh, it's actually a form of manipulation on our part to, you know, continue the relationship, to keep nudging and pushing. When in reality, we should just look at, as we stand in this moment, if this is their truth, and this is the third thing, relating to what they say actually as their truth, even if it's from empowerment or fear, um, is this then in alignment for me and what I want? So those are the places to look. What's the definition? What's actually behind it? Are they open to conversations around different forms of non-monogamy that might be more inbounds for them? Um, and then also checking in with yourself. And this is really where you make the decision of, 
is this the relationship that is going to meet my needs that three years down the road I can envision myself in? Or am I waiting for the current relationship, my current partner to get to a certain place where then I can have the relationship I want? So if it's the latter, might not be the relationship for you. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. And that resonates a lot with me personally. I think to answer that, that last that last question you asked, you, that's part of that checking in with your partner and like, what are we creating? Where are we going? Where do you want this to go? What is your six month, one year, two year, 10 year, five year, whatever vision for us? Is there one, right? And is that part of it? And if not, fine, but are you open to having a conversation about it? Like open, open communication about open relationships. Um, for me, that was my personal line when, when my, when my ex just refused to even have a discussion like even if I wanted to get curious about it he just didn't he was just a closed book and for me I was like well then that's actually the reason why I don't want to continue this relationship amongst other things but like if you're not willing to have a conversation with me about it like I'm not trying to convince you I just want to know where this is coming from from curiosity that for me spoke more to the issues um in our relationship than the actual open relationship piece if that makes any sense (laughs) yeah you can usually tell if you're coming from like genuine curiosity or from uh, control, yeah. right? Curiosity for control's sake is going to feel like you have a destination in mind, you know where you want to get them to, you ask even questions that will like take them in that place. Like you feel like you already have an image in your mind of where you and the conversation should be going. Whereas curiosity for understanding just looks like leaning back and mm-hmm. asking, hey, you know, what about? What do you think? Yeah. You know, how will this apply to you? There are different energetic experiences. And so for anyone who has people pleasing their you know, background or finds himself with a, an anxious attachment of a sort, you can check in and just ask yourself in this moment, am I leading them somewhere or am I leaning back? And if you find yourself leading them anywhere, just lean back, take a few deep breaths and you know, go back in and just listen, listen to learn. Yeah, listen to learn. You know, I think this is a really good spot to talk about the relationship with ourselves. I think, you know, we talk a lot about, and I talk a lot about this on the podcast, our relationships with others and dating and sex and and long-term relationships of all kinds. But at the end of the day, it really boils down to, it always comes back to your relationship with yourself. Um, And and when you're in a relationship, as many of you out there know, it will bring up a lot of your stuff, (laughs) a lot of the stuff that you don't want to deal with that perhaps in solitude or in in your single life, you can just avoid comfortably because no one is there to trigger you. Um, But in a relationship, and this has been true for everyone that I've spoken with, it will bring up your stuff. And it is not your partner's job to heal your stuff. Uh, I love the way you put it, Craig, which was, I can be here to support you in your healing and be your cheerleader. But at the end of the day, whatever that whatever your insecurities, your fears, whatever you're carrying, whatever baggage you're carrying, you know, it's, we all have it. That's fine. But it's not your partner's job to, to make that go away. And I think in the open relationship conversation, a lot of, um, for me, um, abandonment fears, rejection fears have come up. And so I've had to deal with that. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about jealousy, that was definitely something that I, that I struggled with in, in thinking about being open, like, well, what happens if this, and what happens if he likes this person more than me and, and all that stuff. But you know, what's great is it allowed me to do the work on myself. Like, okay, well, here's a trigger. This is interesting. I didn't notice this before because it never came up. So let me work on this 
on my own. Let me work on this with my own coach or let me work on this even with him and say, hey, hey, babe, here's an, here's an interesting thing that came up for me. And having that conversation actually allowed for greater intimacy between us. And I think that is one of the biggest benefits uh, that I've seen. That was just, I didn't even realize it was going to be a benefit that actually our intimacy has deepened as a result of simply having a conversation about openness, not even doing the openness part yet. Love that. I mean, I have nothing more to add. I think that's <laughs> the experience for many people is that when you begin having the vulnerable conversations, you inherently are going to feel more intimacy. And you know, for those who typically have blockages in their sex life, and they might be looking to open things up for a reason, uh, consider where are the conversations you're not having, where you stop it from saying the vulnerable thing. Because normally a stoppage in sex is indicating a block elsewhere. Uh, there's some resentment, some conversations you're not having, some ick you haven't, you know, cleaned up and gotten out of the way. So check back in on the conversations that keep popping up that you might be resisting and consider having them in service of being able to get off later on. All right. Okay, I've got just a couple more here. Maybe we can find time for this one. It's a, it's a simple question. Any advice for a new triad? This one came to me from Instagram. Uh, enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if I'm looking for like, what would be my best tips for a new triad? Uh, I would say this, uh, check in on expectations, create a space for you know all three of you to share where you're at, how you're feeling, once again, once a week, I swear it's a game yes. changer for anyone, whether you're in person or not. Um, and also, depending on if you were a two-person couple who brought in a third, you just all came together, uh, really begin to lean into co-creating something new. It could be new experiences you want to take, uh, new goals that you have, as you mentioned earlier, Michael. Um, begin to actually ask each partner. So what is it that you want to generate in this relationship? Or like, what is the fun that you want to have? You know, is it a place to travel to? Is it Atlanta, DC? Is it New York? Is it Quebec? Like, what is the fun or something that you want to take on together? It could be as simple as cooking dinner at home together or a food project. Um, and then look at how you might lean in all together. I'll also note, sometimes in triads, uh, like we emphasize only togetherness, we imagine it being uh, together as a three. But also remember that you're now in relationship with yourself, with each of the individuals, and then with the triad as a whole. And so those are actually the relationships that you can check in on too. So it's cool to have one-on-one -on -one time and a check-in on how y'all are. It's great to have time alone where you meditate and you ask yourself, how are you doing? And then also take time to really check in, how are you doing in this triad? Uh, that way you cover all your bases and really have a firm understanding of how everybody is. Sometimes we forget to check in with the one-on-one -on -one partner uh, once we move to the triad. And uh, it's normal to also have intimacy or an easier willingness to share with one person than it is for everybody. So invite everyone to practice leaning in and sharing openly and being at cause for creating what feels like a safe container for that in your triad. Uh, but also have some fucking fun. Enjoy it. <laughs> Amen. Have some fun. That's, that's it. Right. Like we, we, I love that we are able to have such uh, in-depth conversations about this and there really is a lot that comes up, but at the end of the day, we can have so much fun with this if we, if we wanted to with the vulnerability, with the fear, with everything that comes with it, you can still find space for the fun and the play. For me, 
and I know I know Craig, you're you're very similar. That is very important for us is, is that playfulness and that fun. And and for me, I mean, I'm I love to meet people. I I, I really enjoy um, the sexual freedom and even the intimacy that comes with all of this. And of course, the personal growth, as I said, has been a beautiful byproduct. Okay, we are almost at time. So, Craig, any last words of wisdom before we jump off today? Oh, uh, I'll say this. Uh, the journey into an open relationship can be so much fun and also it's not for everyone and there's no value judgment placed on that. You know, if you're out there listening and you think, okay, I hear this and I think it's for me or I hear this and I think it's not, cool. You know, actually listen to what your desires are, knowing that they might change down the road and that's awesome as well. Um, and be willing to put yourself out there in service of you getting the relationship you want. You know, of all the people that I work with, there are individuals, couples even, who want or thought they wanted an open relationship. And what they really wanted was to have better sex and intimacy together. So even exploring an open relationship might not mean you get into it. It might mean that you actually get what you want right at home. Uh, but in these relationships, there's really no conversation that isn't safe to have that, that couldn't be supportive. So words of wisdom are just check in with where you actually are and honor the desires that you have. Uh, go out and get them. If it's monogamy, go get it. If it's a triad, cool. If you want to, you know, eight different boyfriends and one husband, awesome. You know, but always check back in on how you're doing, on how your partner is doing, and if you're prioritizing your relationship or if you're running away from it. And that will be one of the, the best places to look that will consistently keep you on track to building the future you want together, no matter how many people there are in your bed, on your couch at the end of the night. Love it. And, and you know what, going back to the very first question we had, I would, I would say that the, the skills and, and traits you need to have a successful non-monogamous relationship are the same ones for monogamy, trust, communication, uh, vulnerability, authenticity. It's the same, it's the same stuff, just in a, in a different container. Um, okay, Craig, where can our listeners and viewers find you? Uh, so two places primarily, if you want more of this good content, cut to the core, sassy, sexy, and fun, you can follow me on Instagram. The handle is at Craig, C-R-A-I-G, uh, Cassie, C-A-S-S-E-Y-J-R for junior. I post every day, offer videos, weekly lives, talking about relationships, sex, money as well. Uh, then you can also check out my website, CraigCassie.com. Beautiful. Awesome. And uh, I've said this before. I love Craig's content. Uh, he has a great Instagram, so definitely follow him. Okay, guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Uh, if you're not already in the Gay Men's Brotherhood Facebook group, please join us. It's a free Facebook group. We've got over 3,700 guys in there. We talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. If you're listening to this podcast and you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. Matt Callen and I are reading our reviews at the beginning of our episodes. Uh, also, while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating. If you watched us on YouTube, YouTube today or Instagram, uh, make sure you hit subscribe, tap on the bell to make sure you get notified when we release new episodes. And my favorite part, leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. The comments that I read today, a lot of them came from YouTube. And guess what, guys? We actually read them and we will respond. So go ahead, leave us a comment. Uh, and once again, thank you, Craig, for coming back and sharing your wisdom with us today. I hope to do this again soon. Pleasure. See you guys next time.